is available at AFSUSA.org. It's about 20 seconds before the hour of 10 o'clock, and that is Maine Current Special Time. Let's take a quick look at the weather while we can. It's foggy and misty, 64 in East Orland. We're looking for a day of 50% chance into this afternoon, and then it's going to stop being that way. Tonight, partly cloudy, then patchy fog, low 58. And tomorrow, patchy fog, then sunny and 75. It's time for Maine Current Special. Good morning. This is a WERU Maine Current Special. I'm your host, Amy Brown. According to the Maine Coalition to End Domestic Violence, here in Maine, a domestic violence assault is reported to law enforcement roughly every two hours. And according to a 2018 report by the Maine Domestic Abuse Homicide Review Panel, for more than 10 years, almost half the homicides in Maine were caused by domestic violence. 16 of the 37 people who were murdered in Maine from 2016 to 2017 were killed by a family member or intimate partner. This is part two of a two-part discussion with Patricia McLean. You may know her as an accomplished photojournalist, and you also may know parts of her personal story as a survivor of domestic violence as they have been played out in the media. Her abuser is a celebrity, so her story was shared far and wide. And while being in that kind of spotlight may have caused some of us to withdraw, Patricia instead picked up her camera and a recorder and went out to help other women tell their stories on a website and multimedia presentation called Finding Our Voices. You may have heard part one of our discussion yesterday at this time. If not, you can listen to the archives on the main current section at weru.org. We're going to pick up where we left off today, but also open the phone lines right off the bat to your call. So if you listened yesterday and you have questions or comments, you can give us a call at any time. The number into the studio is 469-0500. And also because of the nature of abuse, we know some of you may not feel safe calling in. If you would rather send us a brief email with a question or comment, you can do that as well. Uh, just be sure to let us know in the email what name you want to go by or if you want to be anonymous, and uh, we will try to get to your question on the air. That's at news at weru.org. And again, the phone number to call in is 469-0500, and we'll take calls right from the top of the hour if you have questions about domestic abuse and violence. Welcome back, Patricia. Thank you very much, Amy, for having me on uh, twice. Yeah, well, this is definitely an important project. You've done some great work here. You have a lot of people's stories. We're going to be sharing some more of them this morning. But just in case people who are listening now didn't have a chance to listen to yesterday, can you say a little bit about how your experience led you to finding this project and then what the project actually entails? Sure. <clears throat> I just I think I want to start with just saying that you mentioned in your introduction um, that in Maine, uh, domestic abuse assault is reported every two hours. And that's a really skewed statistic because domestic abuse is not reported. Right. And right. so um, that, that I think, is uh, – I was in it for 29 years, and I did call 911 two years in, a few years into my marriage, but then begged them not to arrest. And then um, anyway um, – my my project is uh, what what happened is um, my husband Don McLean, American Pie fame, um, was arrested for domestic violence uh, January eighteenth two thousand sixteen, and um, the story went around the world. Um, 
and it was so public, which was so devastating to me. But what happened was um, it was kind of like once the silence was broken, it was like a spell had broken. And um, it, it turned out to be a really good thing. It helped me to get out. But also people all around me started, women started coming to, up to me and, and sharing their stories of domestic abuse. And um, that's when I realized how much of this there was all around me that I never realized. And uh, I'm a photojournalist, and I decided I'm going to um, destigmatize this issue. And because the women, when they told me their stories, they would whisper them. It was there was a lot of shame and embarrassment. And I realized that that is not serving anybody. And um, I'm just going to be, you know, my story had been outed, and I want to help these women find their voices as well. And so that process wasn't uh, without its challenges. I mean, your abuser continued to try to shut you down as you went through the process of, of doing this. So the, uh, that slogan, still she persisted, is, kind of applies to you because you continued with this despite attempts to silence the voices that you were trying to bring to the fore. You eventually did get several different people who would tell their stories and that you were able to do portraits of. So say a little bit about that and also uh, where people can follow along as they're listening today if they want to see these portraits. Um, yeah, it started with my um, my hairdresser uh, two or three months after the arrest of my ex, uh, confiding that she had also been in a similar situation and that she had always wanted to tell her story. And... Um, that's kind of how I got the idea. Okay, well, um, and a lot of women were telling me their stories, so I, I, th I thought let's let's gather some of these w stories uh, together. Uh, it started off slowly, um, as far as people stepping up and feeling uh, safe enough, and emotionally ready and wanting to be public about it. But um, I connected with the Main Coalition to End Domestic Violence, and um, they are supporting this project. And they uh, posted something on their Facebook, and I ended up getting uh, a, a lot of women who did want to be part of this. Um, and we are 20 women now, um, and 20, 20 faces and voices, but there's many more women that I, I correspond with privately um, who are just really supporting and following this but are, are not ready to come public themselves. Uh, and... Um, it opened at the Camden Public Library in Valentine's Day. It was the launch of this year. I've been taking it around the state, um, community centers, libraries. Um, I've gone to the Wyndham Prison once. I'm going back again, Rotary Clubs. And the uh, big show, um, because all 20 will be there, is the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine, University of Maine Augusta campus. That's opening... Uh, there's an opening reception September 19th, uh, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., and the show is three months long, and that's going to have uh, the portraits, audio, uh, and various documents. And people can watch along. Uh, we've put up a Facebook post on WERU's Facebook page with some of the portraits of the people whose stories we'll be hearing today, but also you can go to uh, findingourvoices.net and you have the portraits up there, uh, different aspects of things we'll be talking about today, like the wheel that we're going to be discussing a little bit later. Uh, also, sections of your website have resources 
as well as uh, uh, the section called Breathe, I think is the, the title of the section. So people can go to that, follow along now if you'd like to see the faces of the people whose voices we're about to hear, or if you want to access resources. Main Coalition to End Domestic Violence also has a website with a ton of uh, resources, as well as a lot of research and public policy information. That is at mcedv.org. Oh, I just want to mention that um, you mentioned the website. A lot of this project has been very serendipitous um, as far as women stepping up. And one example is... um, I, um, my, the lady who does my framing, Christine, stepped up as a participant. And then um, her daughter said that she had a friend who she thought would want to be, would, would want to participate, who was a college uh, friend, um, Sydney. And then I mentioned to Sydney that um, I was looking, I needed a, someone to do a website for me. And she said that her mother does that kind of thing. And she would check in with her mother about, um, maybe doing that for me, and that's C.J. Kenna, who has a show on WERU. And she actually offered to do that. introduced to Esoterica. Esoterica, yeah. yeah. And she offered to do that that pro bono. And uh, if you go on the website, findingourvoices.net, you'll see a fabulous website that she's done, and she's still doing, working with me. And she also is doing all the graphics for the project. Um, All right. Why don't we start with hearing one of the stories, and I'll let people know ahead of time, and I'm going to say this before each of the stories because we never know when people are tuning in, uh, that these uh, stories may be triggering and hard for people to hear, and we feel like they're very important to uh, have people hear these stories, but just listeners, you know what you need to do if you need to... uh, if this is going to be something that's hard for you to listen to, each of these is maybe three or four minutes long. Just join us on the other side. Who should we start with? Well, I thought maybe Meg because um, Meg, uh, after I connected with my hairdresser, Kate, um, I, I, I put something on my uh, my own personal Facebook page looking for women to step up and join me. And um, she did, and that really helped to pr- push the project along. And um, she was my neighbor for, uh, like, I think 25 years when I lived up high on the hill with my ex in Camden. And she's a local architect. um, And this is her story. I remember it vividly. It was a college boyfriend. We met because we were both in Shakespeare production together. And I was a freshman. I didn't know anybody. And he was a poet. And he was, seemed charming. Everything was fine for a while. And then it was like that line was crossed and he could tell me what to do and how to spend my time and who to spend it with. I was going to get grief for whatever I was doing. And so I would have to like maybe make up a story. And I didn't like that feeling, a feeling like I would need to cover for myself for something that really was normal behavior for a 19-year-old. He, he would smash and break things, but he had that kind of smashy personality. It was sort of shockingly violent. And he would drink, and when he got to a certain point in drinking, he became quite verbally abusive and angry and would threaten suicide And so I was in a 
place where I was like, okay, I'll do what you say because I don't want you to kill yourself because then it would be my fault. I, I was raised in a very waspy environment. And so I was always taught to control my emotions. You could be angry, but you couldn't fly off the handle. That was considered unacceptable behavior. And so when I was dealing with someone who was essentially raging in my face, I did not know how to address it. And I would freeze like a rabbit. And that would just make him angrier because he wanted a fight. The one time he was really physically abusive as opposed to emotionally abusive was he grabbed me by the throat and he threw me down on the bed and he started to throttle me. And I started to black out. Then after that, that I really realized that he had the capability of not just yelling at me, but the capability of killing me, perhaps, that I wanted to get out of this relationship, but I knew it would be dangerous to do that, and I had to bide my time. It was probably a whole nother year. Um, my roommate didn't know. Um, my, none of my college friends, my parents, my sister, nobody knew um, that this was going on because I was embarrassed. What, what really ticks me off is when there, I read about an incident of domestic violence and then I hear people say, well, why didn't she just leave him? And they're like, blame the woman. And I think they have no idea how hard it is to extricate yourself from a situation like that. And here I was, I had in some ways all kinds of support systems. And I didn't have kids. I wasn't financially beholden to this guy. And yet I was still afraid to get out of the relationship because of the potential violence that my leaving would create. That was Meg. She's one of the participants in the Finding Our Voices traveling exhibition, also on the website at findingourvoices.net. The website's creator is Patricia McLean, a photojournalist who's joining us today. And we will take your calls at any time you want to call in during this hour. This is live. The number is 469-0500 if you have any questions or comments. And also, we know because of the nature of this uh, subject matter that it may be unsafe for some people to call in or you may just be uncomfortable with it if you want to email us and uh, let us know whether or not you want us to use your name on the air but email news at weru.org and uh, we'll try to read questions on the air as well Uh, picking up where we left with part one you mentioned that you've noticed patricia a pattern among women including yourself to at least while it's happening, be able to somehow cognitively minimize how bad the abuse actually is. Yeah, I think that happens for um, a few reasons. One is that the voice in your head is his voice. Um, One of the things, uh, there's a pattern of deliberate behaviors uh, uh, they, they do. I've, lear- I've since learned this um, in order to gain control of an intimate partner. That's what domestic abuse is. And one of the things they do is, um, you know, they, they minim- they're minimizing it. So you're kind of echoing that. Like, um, I remember Dom would say, like, um, there's two victims in this baby or something. Like, he, he, would, he, would, he would always uh, 
make it sound like he would say it takes two to tango kind of thing. So making it sound like um, it was just it was both of us that were, were in on this and uh, keeping this going or getting this going. Uh, and then, of course, they try to make you think that you're crazy. And then they. Um, uh, but um, for instance, um, when I Becca is one of the um, women in the project, I think we played her audio yesterday and I asked her if I could use her audio for some, for a publicity thing that we were doing. And she said, well, I don't think that, you know, there's so many other women in the project who have had it worse than I have. But she had a, a, a horrible saga. And just the fact that she said that, that's what made me really realize that, um, that women, you know, do minimize it. And it's always, well, it's not as, maybe it's not as bad as some other woman or, um, like, what does it take? It's basically until the guy kills you, that's when you know it's like, it's as bad as, as it gets. But anything short of that, it seems that women will, will, will not just not think it's that, ba it's that bad or as bad as other women have it. Yeah, that seems almost like a trauma reaction to just kind of distance yourself from mm, it, just sort of a point. way that cognitively the brain works to maybe protect itself in some way. Is there a point in the process, you've talked to so many women now, maybe when they're telling you their story that they start to register the severity of what they went through? I think it does take distance and time and distance to be able to look back and things start coming to you without his voice in your head. Um, I think that that really helps. Hmm. Why don't we go ahead and, uh, while we're waiting to hear from any callers or anyone with email, again, that's uh, news at weru.org. If you'd like to send us an email or 4690500, we'll go ahead and hear another one of these stories. I also want to mention, too, that findingourvoices.net, Patricia McLean's website has resources on it, the main coalition to end domestic violence, which is mcedv.org, has resources on it, and also the main coalition to end domestic violence. Okay. Or, or, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I just thought of something, Amy. Sorry. When you asked me that question, um, I, th I, th I thought of a better answer than I gave. If I oh, could, yeah, if yeah. I could give ahead. another answer. Just remind me before we go to the clip to give the phone numbers for the uh, okay. hotlines. Uh, I th what really helped me um, is going to the, a support group for the first time uh, for domestic abuse and also calling a domestic abuse agency for the first time. Like I had been in my situation for 29 years and I never thought of myself as a victim of domestic abuse. And it was only after his arrest and um, when they reached out to my local agency reached out to me, I decided just to, to give them a call. And that's what really put it together for me because um, they understand the dynamic and it was talking to an advocate that really put together for me what I was in, the dynamic, the pattern, uh, and that made it very clear. So that's why I encourage anyone who is in a relationship that they just feel they know is unhealthy and they, they haven't figured out what's going on, but they know it's not right. And uh, to just make a call, you could call anonymously and you know find the domestic abuse agency in your area. It's completely confidential. And just explain the kind of call the hotline and explain um, what you're going through. And, and you cannot lose by doing that. You know, I think someone listening to this who hasn't experienced domestic violence, doesn't know much about it, might think that if you had to contact an agency to find out that it was abuse, that it wasn't that bad. But that's not the case. Well, it's absolutely not the case. I mean, people endure the worst things you could ever imagine, things that 
things that men are in jail for for decades, that uh, they endure this in their home behind closed doors and never maybe even putting that phrase on it. Mm. And we were talking earlier today, too, about the fact that sometimes if you're raised around violence, if you grew up with domestic violence in your household as the only example that you have of how relationships work, you may have just internalized that that's how relationships work. Yeah, that's true. I find that um, of the women in, in the project, like there are a number of them who have had completely um, healthy, wonderful childhoods. And then that sometimes um, when they met a guy, uh, it might have thrown them because they never expected or anticipated that someone could be that way. Um, but a lot sometimes th- there has been trauma in the childhood where the parents um, were abusive and I, and then they ended up in relationships that kind of mirrored um, that that dynamic. Yeah. Okay. Let me give the phone numbers real quick if you're listening to this and uh, the website's again mcedv.org or findingourvoices.net. The statewide domestic abuse uh, hotline or helpline is 1-866-834-HELP. Again, 1-866-834-HELP. The Wabanaki Women's Coalition is 763-3478-763-3478. And uh, if you want to reach us in the studio with a question or a comment, a story that you'd like to share, the number is 4690500. And the email address, if you'd like to send in a question or comment, is news at weru.org. Just please let us know if you uh, want us to use your name or not. Who should we hear from next? Well, I thought we could listen to Judy because um, as I take this around and um, I recognize that or people come up to me who have been in abusive uh, intimate partner relationships but a, a lot of people also tell me about uh, the abuse they domestic abuse they saw while they were growing up I was just at a, a function like a fundraiser fundraising dinner and there was a CEO of a company sitting next to me and um, super accomplished super successful in every way has a wonderful family and he mentioned that um, when he was growing up, um, the situ- his mother were, was in uh, uh, his father and then his stepfather. It was so bad that they had to travel around the country, like, escape with, using an alias, because of what these men would do were, were doing uh, to the to the to the his mother. Um, and um, so uh, Judy is a woman um, that I've known for decades, and our kids were friends when they were little. And she let me know that um, she'd experienced this growing up from her father, and this is her story. My father was a chef, a really, really fabulous chef. Um, he worked for some movie stars in Idolapino and came to my house when I just sang to me. And he was into opera and fine food, and I just remember him being very creative and sort of romantic. He would bake cakes for my teachers, and he'd ask me what I wanted and, like, bake them a German chocolate cake and bring it to school, this big, beautiful, fancy thing. And my mother graduated top in her class and got a scholarship to college uh, back then. 
you know, we thought my mother was Edith Bunker. We thought she was just the ditziest person on earth. We always thought she was, you know, like pretty fat and ugly. And then we saw these pictures of her when she was young. It's like, oh my God, who's this beauty queen? I know that he was in and out of work and that that was a big issue for the marriage. When he drank, he was very abusive to my mother. And he always called her a whore and um, be jealous and act like she'd been out the whole time he was gone with another man or something. And she was trying to feed her four kids, you know, on her $800 a month salary. I remember her coming to um, the Halloween party at school so six-ish after she got off work. And she had this big, huge purple sort of bandage over her nose because he had broken her nose. He came home and said, where is she? I'm gonna kill her. And he got a butcher knife. She took off and he followed her. And it was almost like a procession because he, what I remember, whether this is true or not. She she was here, he was, let's say, 10 feet behind her, and then there was my brother and then me. And I'm very young at this time. My brother, uh, George, would say, go like in this store and call the police or ask them if you can use their phone because I'm certain we had no money. And I remember calling the police and saying, you have to come out right now. My father's following my mother with a butcher knife and he says he's gonna kill her. And I remember the police saying, um, are they uh, legally separated? And I remember saying no. And them saying, sorry, we can't help you. You're on your own. But he didn't kill her, but I did think he was going to and that I was gonna watch it. And we finally said, you know, why don't you leave him? And she said, because I love him. My oldest brother was very emotionally disturbed, very angry, and George really withdrew. He's very, very um, introverted. Sandra and Earl were um, affected the most. You can either crash and burn or you can put blinders on and try to survive. I think that must be what I did. That was Judy's story. Patricia McLean, this is part of your project. You wanted to uh, say a little bit about what we just heard. Yeah, um, when I meet people these days, if they ask what I'm doing and I mention this project, it seems like almost every time they'll tell me about uh, a situation, whether it's their sister or a friend or their, their mother um, or themselves of domestic abuse, Hor hor horrible uh, domestic abuse. And um, it just makes me realize, like, again, you know, how much of this there is going on. And that's why I'm really happy to be doing this project to um, so that other people can see this and realize they're not alone. And also, I just wonder if um, when I was in my own situation, if I had seen something like this, if it would have helped me to get out of my situation, knowing that there was a, 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 a word for it, and also um, how dangerous it was. Um, yeah, yeah. 
If you're just joining us, this is a main current special. I'm Amy Brown. My guest today is Patricia McLean, the creator of Finding Our Voices, which is a multimedia presentation. We'll tell you again about where you can see it in person coming up here in the next few weeks. We'll do that at the end of the program. You can also get more information and see some of these uh, women that we're hearing from today at findingourvoices.net. Again, there is a, a section for resources there at findingourvoices.net and also the main coalition to end domestic violence, mcedv.org. And some of these audio clips that we're playing uh, may be triggering. They are people telling their you know, first-person accounts of having been abused. They are about three, four at the most, uh, four and a half minutes long. So as we're playing them, if you feel that they would be too difficult for you to listen to, just join us again in about four minutes and uh, you should be all set. We'll hear from a few more. We're also taking emails at news at weru.org. If you'd like to share a story, make a comment, ask a question, or call 4690500. We did have a uh, question from a listener who heard yesterday's program who wanted to hear more about economic abuse. That was something that we mentioned on the program that aired yesterday, but didn't really delve into very much. Economic abuse is a, a really big component in what um, pulls women into this situation and keeps them there. And uh, Janine Lubber Oren, who was one of the participants in our project, and you could see her photo and hear her story on the findingourvoices.net website, she's Thinks, she says that 99% with uh, when there's uh, domestic abuse, 99% of the time there is also economic abuse, um, and um, she, they actually she was responsible for passing a, a bill that Janet Mills just signed that um, c will uh, do something to uh, address this. But um, in my my situation, um, when I met Don, I had just turned 27 and. Uh, he was 40, but he uh, had me sign a pre prenuptial agreement, um, and it was draconian, so that um, even married for 29 years, I really would have ended up with nothing um, after taxes and everything. And he um, let me know throughout the marriage that um, if I left, I would be leaving with nothing. And um, that is just one example of of economic abuse. Uh, also, the thing I hear a lot, a lot with um, the various women who tell me their stories is how the man starts controlling the money, and sometimes the woman is making the money, but he somehow gets control of. Um, he's able to get control of the finances, so he will dole it out. And uh, for instance, write in if she needs gas for you know for the car, he'll find out. He'll write a check to the gas station for the amount that she can, for the gas. And um, another woman, Megan, uh, said that um, she had two kids with this man, and he always told her that he would never marry her because he didn't want to have to pay uh, any alimony. And he would line them up and give them each $5, uh, like she was one of the kids. And she, when she left, she had to leave with nothing. And that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the thing is, that's what makes it really hard if you, if he, keeps control of all the money, the idea of leaving and having nothing and maybe looking to going into a, a shelter, that's sometimes the only way that you can get out. Um, but economic abuse is one of the, is one is just one of the ways that they uh, get control over the woman. 
One, someone that I know personally who has spoken out publicly about the issue has talked about having uh, her ex-husband put everything in his name and so having no credit uh, and other folks have talked about having their credit cards just maxed out so their credit is basically destroyed which also kind of keeps them in a situation where they feel like they can't go out on their own because they won't be able to get an apartment in another place to live. Well, that's true. And the other thing is they prevent you from... Um getting a job. They prevent you from going back to school. Um, all ways that you could have some independence. Mm. The control issues creep in incrementally, starting with when you first meet the person. I mean, obviously, on the first date, from I would say, I would venture to say, in almost all cases, people are not abusive on the first date, or there wouldn't be a second date. But how does that initially start out and then progress? Well, I think a lot of times I would say isolation seems to be, uh, well, that happened with me, but also with a lot of the women that I've talked with. Um, they don't like your friends. They don't like your family. But they it's, it's almost flattering in the beginning, the way they um, just want you to spend all your time with them. And it's, you know, they... It make make it out like they love you so much. They just want to be with you all the time, um, and then the isolation is really scary because uh, by the time you realize maybe what kind of situation you're in, you may have cut cut off contact with a lot of people or um, feel like you can't really talk to them about it. Mm. Let's do another clip, and I'll give out the phone number again. Uh, if you have a question, comment, story you want to share, you can call the studio. These clips are uh, about uh, three and a half to four and a half minutes long, so uh, we'll pick up the call on the other side, or if you feel like you may be triggered by this, uh, come back in about that amount of time. You can also email us at news at weru.org if you have a question for Patricia McLean about her Finding Our Voices project or you'd like to share your story yourself. Who should we hear from next, Patricia? Uh, I thought we could listen to Johnny. And um, when Johnny first called me, she let me know that she had never before uh, told her story. That this is, That's the case with most of the women in the project. This is the first time that they're sharing their story. Uh, and it had happened uh, decades ago, and that's a heavy burden to carry for that long. So again, folks, if this is going to be um, triggering, it's this clip is about three and a half minutes long. Yep, and here's, here's Johnny. I'm from Maine, obviously, you can tell by my accent. Um, and he, you know, he went to prep school. He had went to Exeter High School in New Hampshire. And then he went away to uh, college at BU. And um, so I just felt like he was very sort of wise and worldly. And, and I felt very safe around him. Well, I remember the first time very clearly. Um, we were on an old country road. That's what we would do. We would, you know, drive around in the country and just go on long drives and talk and chat. And he was angry about um, something. I remember him pulling my hair. Um, yelling, calling me names, and I thought, I'm just gonna put my head on his lap. And I heard him say, I could burn you with a cigarette and you wouldn't know it. And I just sat really still, not thinking that he would actually burn me with a cigarette, but he ended up um, putting the, the cherry of his cigarette on my neck. I think I called the police on him on three separate occasions. I felt like, you know, if I were to just love him enough, then he wouldn't want to hurt me because I knew 
that he could not hurt me if he wanted to, because there are plenty of days where he wasn't calling me names, where he wasn't hitting me, um, strangling me, you know, so I knew that he could be that person that I fell in love with. We had went out and uh, we got back to my apartment. I could tell just by the way he looked or sounded um, that he was gonna become angry and start to abuse me in some way or another. I remember I picked up my landline and I called a friend of mine and I just said, you know, will you come get me? I'm afraid he's gonna hit me. And so we picked the telephone receiver up and just started bashing me, you know, in the head and in the face. And and so we had split my, my um, eyebrow open. So I had blood everywhere. Finally, he allowed me to call a friend. And so, um, I'll never forget this. She came, came in, saw my face, saw Bill, um, and said, okay, Johnny, are you ready to go? And I said, I am. And I kissed him on my way out the door and said, I love you, I'll be back. I, I felt like at that point that I had done something wrong. Um, I felt a lot of compassion for him. Like I understand why he got angry, why he got upset. He was afraid he would be arrested. I lost hope that he was gonna change. And that is the number one reason that I left. You know, I'll never forget how painful it was to leave Bill. Um, I broke free from his abuse, but in the process, I lost all the good things about our relationship. You know, I don't have the dreams and the nightmares that I had for a long time. And when I say a long time, I mean years. I will never forget the fear that I had for so long um, when I was with him, and even more so when I was no longer with him, how exhausted I was. Um, and part of me feels like if he knew that, I think he'd feel satisfied. You know, one of the last things that he said to me was, um, every time you look in the mirror, you're gonna remember me because you're gonna see that scar. Wow, that's really intense story. That's Johnny's story. Um, I think one, I just wanted to say that uh, another reason for this project and something I'm happy about is um, I'm hoping that this can, by, de by destigmatizing the victims and taking away the shame and letting everyone know how much this happens and it's not just them, that it could increase reporting of, of the crimes and of the abuse. Because for instance, in Johnny's story, like this guy, you know, um, just going out and, and how could he not be mistreating the woman afterwards? And if these, most, again, most of the women um, in my project, there, there was no accountability at all. And you, you just know, and I, I know this because advocates have told me that they see the same uh, guy coming back again and again, um, women filing restraining orders um, in the courts for the same guy, just different girlfriends. And so there has to be, you know, more reporting and then more accountability and the guys have to have something on their record so that women can, like, they could flag these guys for the women so they could know before they get into the relationship, this is a dangerous person. It would be great if there were some kind of registry like the sexual offender yeah, registry. Yeah, that's, that's a really great idea. Oh, my God. just as likely to reoffend as so sexual true. offenders are. That is so true. I... Um, I, I thought back to my, I was thinking back to my own situation and I realized that um, I, there was a pattern with me of abusive men before, even before I met Don and my high school boyfriend uh, was abusive. I didn't see it at the time, but he was absolutely abusive. 
And I, it was weird that just a few days before my project was launching, he got in touch with me. He e- emailed me um, out of the blue, and I called him on it. And he wrote me back this long email and told, just made a point of saying that um, every relationship after that, that he, had, he acknowledged what he did, and he said he was sorry. And then he said that every relationship after that, you know, he, there had been no abuse and he had been like a loving, you know, loving and then he, he was married and he was a loving husband. I mean, I don't really believe that. How right. could someone change? I don't, think, I don't think they change. And that's the other thing that I think that I want to point out is if you're with someone who is abusive, um, I don't, he's just not going to change. Like, you need to get out of there. That's, that's, that's one thing, one thing in a relationship that you... I just don't think there's anything you can't keep, try to keep working on the relationship because if he's been physically abusive or emotionally abusive, um, manipulative, I just don't think they change. And people should be aware that the point at which you decide to leave or take out a restraining order is a very dangerous point in this whole process and that people can help you out with this again. The uh, main center to a main coalition to end domestic violence website has tons of resources. You can contact them through that at mcedv.org. You can also call one of the uh, state line, call the hotline numbers. The statewide domestic violence uh, helpline is one eight six six eight three four help. Again, one eight six six eight three four help. And you can call me right after the program if you miss that and want these phone numbers here at the station. Wabanaki Women's Coalition is 763-3478. Again, 763-3478. We're talking today with uh, Patricia McLean, who is the creator of Finding Our Voices, which is a multimedia traveling exhibition, as well as a website at findingourvoices.net. And hearing some of the... uh, stories of the women that she's recorded and done portraits of as she works on this project. Let's talk about emotional abuse, in some ways more harmful because of the fact that it's hidden and people don't necessarily know that it's abuse. It's, people tend to feel like it's something that they just have to put up with. Well, one thing is, as far as minimization, like a lot of women will come up to me and will say, well, they'll start off by saying, well, he never hit me, but... Um, and the emotional abuse is... I mean, it's torture. Like, these guys, they torture the woman that they supposedly love um, all, all kinds of ways. I mean, um, making her think that she's crazy and uh, manipulating um, just on the power and control wheel, um, which was developed to show the pattern of behaviors that men use to control their partners or or women to to control men if it's an abusive woman um which is extraordinarily rare yeah and that's why i have chosen to focus on women because it's it's, it's mostly men who are perpetuating this but it just look at the various ways uh, on the wheel um emotional abuse putting her down making her feel bad about herself calling her names making her think she's crazy playing mind games, humiliating her, making her feel guilty, and then using isolation, controlling what she does, who she sees and talks to, uh, limiting her outside involvement, um, using the children, uh, male privilege, economic abuse, coercion and threats. And these are all, there's no, nothing physical about this. This is all emotional. Hmm. And speaking of gender, obviously people who are not cisgender 
all different kinds of relationships. There may be abuse, and these folks, these uh, phone numbers that we're giving, websites that we're giving, can offer you support and referrals regardless of what kind of relationship you're in. Oh, and uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing about it is, is that um, sometimes uh, a, a man, especially because the physical strength, like he's often bigger than the woman, so it's just intimidating that to, to know that he's stronger than you. But um, he may just, maybe he shoves you one time and just makes you aware that he, the potential, that what he can do, and that could keep you um, basically uh, afraid and walking on eggshells like for years because you, you, just, you just know what he's capable of. Or one of the women, uh, Leanne, um, this, the, her husband just started, he had a collection of guns and he started bringing them into the bedroom. Like there's all kinds of ways that they can... Um, just assert uh, control um, by hinting at uh, physical violence. Keeping people terrorized. Yeah. We do have a caller on the line. Caller, uh, give your name if you wish and where you're calling from if you wish. And then if you have a question or a story you'd like to share with our guest today, Patricia McLean. I just want to stay anonymous on this one, but to reinforce what you ladies just talked about, because it also happens to men. Right. And my particular case that I'm speaking about now, I have to call in the authorities, just wanting to go back and get my stuff under their supervision. I was also the one that was arrested and had to go to jail. All right. Well, th thanks for uh, your call. And uh, that, like we said earlier, is extraordinarily rare that the male is the one that's abused. Um, I know that in the cases where it has happened, people are feeling like they don't get as much attention, but that's because proportionally it's very, very rare. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to comment on that call? Well, just, just about uh, talking about men. Um, when my ex uh, was arrested, one of the first calls I got was from someone named Bob Gregg, and he had been uh, running um, my ex's fan site, actually, in Australia. He was, like, his number one fan, and he told me that he um, works for volunteers with the White Ribbon Society in Australia, which is men supporting women um, against abuse, and that he was on my side now. And uh, that was extraordinary to me, and he's been a real great support all through this. And he has been himself in a situation where the, you know, he was emotionally abused by the woman. And um, I recognize this, but I really love the way um, it just makes these men more empathetic to women mm. and uh, reaching out to women and trying to help women and trying to, because men have to step up. If we're gonna change the behavior of men, um, men have to step up in this process. And hold other men accountable. Yeah, hold men other men right. accountable. And it's a power dynamic, and historically, you know, men have had more power in so many different arenas. Yeah. Let's hear another clip. Uh, again, these uh, can be triggering. So, uh, and this one in particular describes, I think we're going to go to one that describes a sexual assault. So be uh, forewarned about that. It's about four and a half minutes long. And uh, we'll come back on the other side. Did you want to say anything to set this? Uh, is this, this, is this Olivia? Olivia? Yeah. Uh, and um, I was glad to hear from Olivia. I know that islands in Maine can be especially problematic for the isolation when these guys take you to islands and they can isolate you. But this is one case where uh, she had a very nurturing environment on her island of Vinyl Haven. And then um, 
she met this guy on the mainland, uh, and he's the one who ended up um, pulling her into this abusive relationship. We moved in really quickly together. Being a nurse, I had somebody to share you know, some of my experiences with, because he was a paramedic firefighter, or he was an EMT firefighter. It was nice. He drove everywhere. I didn't have to worry about driving. He paid for the rent. I would catch him in small little lies, and that didn't even make sense to, of things to lie about. We went out one night in Portland, and I remember coming back, and I was upset. Um, he had made me really uncomfortable. He was flirtatious. He ended up shoving me in the bedroom with both of his hands hard enough to fall back onto the bed. I was kind of in shock and I was, I think I just made excuses because we were both, we had both been drinking and I had upset him and it was my, my fault. You know, it wasn't all bad. Some, some days it was really, we had a lot of fun together. We laughed a lot, but then it kind of, the bad day, the good days started fading and there was more bad days than good. We were having intercourse and I asked him to stop because it started to hurt and he didn't. And he just kept going and I was crying with my face down in the pillow and begging him to stop and he didn't. And at the end he said, I said, why didn't you stop? Why did you do that? It hurt. And he, I, I, he looked right at me and said, I hate you. That was a hate fuck. I never pictured myself in a relationship like that. He was very big into working out. Um, he made me feel like I needed to go to the gym every day. Um, there were days that I went twice a day. I wasn't eating right. I was skin and bones. We had gone on vacation on a cruise. The whole week he was awful to me. We got arguing, arguing in our cabin and he ended up getting me on the ground, face down. He was a big guy. Um, he had his hand around my, um, it's kind of like wrapped around my face and my neck and it was, my head was turned to the side and I could not breathe. But I was able to just start screaming. I just was like, help, help, help. And not long after, maybe a minute or two after, I heard security pounding on the door. And he sat on the bed and he was rocking back and forth. And he goes, Liv, Liv, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I love you, I love you so much, I'm sorry. Tell them everything's fine. And I do remember saying to him, you don't do this to somebody you love. The punching in the face was bad and the ripping my clothes and my breaking my phone and pushing me and grabbing me. But that was probably the scariest thing I've ever experienced. I continued on the rest of the cruise and it was kind of one of those things where it was like I'm gonna walk on eggshells around him and uh, make sure that we don't fight anymore and and try and just get off this boat alive. My parents begged me not to go on that cruise and I went and I remember when I got back they said we thought we were never gonna come back. I still didn't leave, I still stayed. Because I kept thinking, you know, oh, this, this will get, things are going to get better. Things are going to get better when the kids come. Like, he's going to change. And never, never did. His mother had put a comment, had commented on a Facebook post of mine. He saw it and it set him off. And he said, delete that comment. Delete the whole post. Uh, or if you don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the credit card. I'm going to take my car that, you, that your name's on. I didn't. And I said, no, I'm not going to. 
Um, he was like, well, then get the fuck out. And I said, okay. And I called my parents and I said, I'm leaving. I'm done. We got my stuff the next morning and we drove back up to Maine. I stayed at my aunt and uncle's in Rockland and then we got on the boat the next day. And I just, <laughs> the sense of relief, the weight I felt lifted off my shoulders. Thomas was always um, uh, what I thought was colicky. And then I moved home. All of a sudden they started sleeping better. It was almost like they were two just different kids. It's not the physical abuse I'm getting, it's the financial and the you know, emotional. I still feel like I'm just being walked all over sometimes. That was uh, Olivia's story. You're listening to Main Current Special here on WERU. My guest today is Patricia McLean, the creator of Finding Our Voices, a multimedia presentation. You can see more at findingourvoices.net. If you are being abused, if you have some questions or concerns, there are several places you can go to. There are links at findingourvoices.net. Also, the main coalition to end domestic violence website, mcedv.org. Statewide domestic abuse hotline is 1-866-834-HELP, 1-866-834-HELP. And the Wabanaki Women's Coalition is 763-3478, 763-3478. So, Patricia, your thoughts on hearing again Olivia's story? Yeah, something that just jumped out at me was when she uh, said walking on eggshells, and that's a really big part of the emotional abuse. A lot of times what happens uh, is... You meet this guy, he sweeps you off your feet. It's just fantastic, like Donna Donna said in her uh, audio, that it was like a once-in-a-lifetime um, love. And then you'll see the temper flare, and you'll do anything you can to, to not have that come up again. You just want the good times back. And so, um, but there's more and more things as the relationship progresses that causes the temper, you know, to flare. And... So you're spending all your time like anticipating uh, his reaction, his behavior, like um, j- trying to avoid an argument or uh, his, his, a fight at any cost. And that t- really takes a toll, like always um, being hypervigilant. And uh, that's what ends up happening a lot of times to these women is that's the state that they're in. Yeah, and hypervigilance, I mean, is part of uh, post-traumatic stress reactions, too. We are not going to have time to play another clip, but we invite you to go to the findingourvoices.net where you can hear them. And also, uh, you have some upcoming appearances uh, or exhibitions we mentioned earlier, but for people who weren't tuned in, then do you want to say again where people can see this exhibition? Uh, Yeah, um, September, it opens up September 17th at the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine, which is at the University of Maine Augusta campus. And there's an opening reception Thursday, September 19th. And um, the exciting thing about, I've been taking the show around the state, but um, this is the venue that's large enough where I can have every one of the 20 women who are in it represented with a photo portrait, which is a place, I when I photograph them, I ask if there's a place they can think of that uh, is meaningful to either the abuse or their journey out of it. And then there's an audio uh, of their voice. And this, um, in the exhibit, you use your cell phone to call it up. And you could uh, look at the portrait and listen to the woman's voice on your cell phone while looking at the portrait. And the other thing I've done is I've given every one of the women uh, a power and control wheel and asked them to customize it. 
And I came up with that just because it shows the pattern. And if you walk around the exhibit or on the website and you look at the power and control wheels, that's where you really see the pattern. Like um, every woman will have uh, encountered sometimes all or most of these behaviors from the abuser, but they write on details which is really um, has been was their their private agony. So and what we had made somebody asked about that. Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure people can see this on FindingOurVoices.net what the wheel yeah. is. But we had a listener from yesterday ask to say a little bit more. It's a basically it's a circle of uh, behaviors that kind of feed into each other. Would you say? Yeah, in the center, it was developed by the uh, in Duluth by a women's group in Duluth in the 1980s. And um, now domestic abuse agencies uh, use this as a resource to to give to the clients so that they can really see what, what has been going on. And um, in the center, it's power and control, and there's spokes on the wheel, and it just shows all of the, the um, behaviors uh, that um, – deliberate behaviors that these men do uh, to gain power and control over the woman. Um, and, and then you've customized them to each individual. Yeah, and so each woman has the wheel, and then they I give, they they customize it and by adding in uh, the details uh, and highlighting which of the things pertained if they want, and then the details of their particular situation. Okay, we just have two minutes left. I want any last thoughts. I know you had mentioned maybe wanting to say something about educating children. Anything else that we haven't covered that you want to just mention quickly before we wrap up? Um. Yeah, just I would encourage anybody if they want to get in touch with me through my website. A lot of women are not ready to um, come out publicly, but um, I'm always available to talk. And also, please do call if you have any sense that you're in the situation or know somebody who is. MCEDV, uh, look up the domestic abuse agency in your area or this person's area that you're concerned about and just make a contact with an advocate there. It, it, it can't hurt. It can only help. And they can also help you safety plan, even though you might not be ready to leave now, just to get, just to start thinking about how to a safety plan and work toward leaving when you're ready to do so. All right. We'll have to leave it there. But again, that website is mcedv.org. The statewide domestic abuse helplines 1-866-834-HELP. The Wabanaki Women's Coalition is 763-3478. Patricia McLean has been our guest today, and her website is findingourvoices.net. Thanks for joining us again, Patricia. Thank I appreciate you, so you being willing to do not one but two programs on this topic this month. You've been listening to a main current special. We'll return to our regular uh, scheduled day to air on the first Thursday of the month in September. Um, again, my guest today has been Patricia McLean, photojournalist, survivor, and the creator of Finding Our Voices, findingourvoices.net. John Greenman engineered today's program. I'm Amy Brown. Please stay tuned for On the Wing coming up next here on Community Radio WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at weru.org. Democracy Now! produces a daily, global, independent news hour hosted by award-winning journalists Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez. Their reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews with people on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues. On Democracy Now! you'll hear diversity of voices speaking for themselves 
providing a unique and sometimes provocative perspective on global events. Headlines at 8 o'clock Monday through Friday and Democracy Now! in its entirety.